Numbers chapter 24. Uh, we've gone through this incredible story here with this prophet Balaam and this king Balak. It's been a series of back and forth. Balaam, right, he just wants money and Balak just wants a curse. And what both of them are beginning to realize more and more is that no matter how much money uh, one wants from the king and no matter how much the king wants the prophet to curse God's people, you just can't curse God's people. What we're going to see here tonight, and we spoke about it more last week, is that our greatest danger isn't someone else out there with a, a voodoo doll or someone else out there praying weird prayers over us or making you walk under a ladder or having every black cat run in front of you, right? That's not our greatest danger. Our greatest danger is our own personal disobedience to God and to His Word. The danger within our lives spiritually is far more dangerous in our own disobedience to God and His Word than it is someone else doing any type of black magic on any of us. The whole theme throughout the book of Numbers is obedience versus disobedience. That'll come to light in a big way here in chapter 24 and 25. Chapter 24, kind of the good news, right? We get the good news first. Israel is basically untouchable no matter how desperately Balaam and Balak want to curse God's people, get money, and destroy them in a battle. Chapter 25, the great warning to us is that Israel, the moment they begin to disobey God and they're no longer under his blessing, then God's word still has to be fulfilled. And the wages of sin is death, always, all the time. Saved or not saved, the wages of sin is death. And that law will always be completed and will always happen. So this whole idea, obedience versus disobedience, whole idea of faith versus fear, usually our obedience to God is fueled by faith. Usually our disobedience to God, we're making decisions based on fear. Another great uh, way to tell, man, am I walking in obedience or am I walking in disobedience? Am I making decisions based upon future blessings from God? Or am I making decisions based on present blessings in my flesh, right? It's another great way to see, am I walking in obedience to God or am I walking in disobedience to God? One quick scripture before we dive in here, Romans chapter 15 verse 4, it tells us, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So again, why are we reading about a, a talking donkey or these two dumb guys? Last week we called them dumb and dumb and right, Balaam and Balak. Why are we reading about these guys? Because it's written for our learning, for our learning. So Numbers chapter 24 We'll read uh, verse 1 through 9 here. It says, Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery. But he set his face toward the wilderness, and Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up his oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with his eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. 
like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars besides the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. At this point in verses 1 and 2, King Balak has already offered 21 bulls and 21 rams. Now again, you guys are at the grocery store too, right? How much is a pound of beef? It's kind of expensive, right? So now imagine having already sacrificed 21 bulls and 21 rams here. This has been quite an investment from King Balak trying to get Balaam to pronounce a curse upon the nation of Israel. And yet to no avail. Here at the end of verse 1, we see that Balaam, he sought to use sorcery the other times. This time he takes a break from his sorcery, from this dark magic, and now he just trusts in God and says, all right, God, what do you have to tell me? And he goes directly to the Lord. Balaam and his sorcery shows us that he's not a prophet of God. In fact, all this time he's been trying to actively use the dark magic in order or the dark arts, right, to curse God's people. But all that can come out of his mouth are just blessings upon blessings upon the nation of Israel. At this point, Balaam is 0 for 2. At the end of the day, he's going to go 0 for 4 and trying to curse God's people. We're going to see at the end here, his love of money causes him to directly disobey God because God told him, only what I tell you to speak, you shall speak. So he disobeys God because of his love for money and he causes the nation of Israel to be tempted. Some of them fall into the sin. In verse 2 it says, Balaam raised his eyes and he saw Israel encamped according to their tribes and the Spirit of God came upon him. We spoke about this last week. Balaam, once again, the Spirit of God coming upon him. And we need to always remember, spiritual giftedness does not equal a close relationship with God. Just because someone is spiritually gifted does not mean that they are strong in their personal relationship with the Lord. Oftentimes some of the people that I meet that are the closest to God are some of the most fearful people when it comes to public speaking. It's the people that say, hey, don't forget to pray for me is what I tell them on the side. But spiritual giftedness does not equal a close relationship to God. Spiritual giftedness also does not equal holiness. We see it in Balaam. He's just after the love of money. We've seen it in Samson. Samson, he's spiritually gifted, was he not? And yet time after time after time, disobeying the Nazarite vow, disobeying the word of God, disobeying his parents, just after women and after sex. Spiritual giftedness does not equal spiritual maturity. Just because someone's spiritually gifted, it does not mean that they have maturity in spiritual things. 
God, he spoke through the Spirit, and he came upon King Saul in the middle of his disobedience. God, he came and he filled Balaam with the Spirit, and he spoke to him. God spoke through a donkey. God can use several vessels to speak through a person, but we are not to praise the vessel. We're not to praise the vessel. When you watch a football game, you don't say, oh my goodness, look at that football, how amazing it is, right? Look at how aerodynamic it is, able to fly 50 yards through the air, right? You don't do that. You, you praise the person that's using that tool. And all of our praise shouldn't go to mankind. Our praise should go to the Lord. Here in verse 3 and 4, this is just a description of someone having a spiritual vision. And now the vision Balaam's having, it's not through his physical eyes, but here he's seeing the nation of Israel in the eyes of someone who has the Spirit of God upon them. And again, interesting to note, look at how someone filled with the Spirit of God looks at God's people. We know the nation of Israel. We looked at them and they've been disobedient They've been carnal, they're complaining, they've been swallowed whole, they've had plagues come upon them, they've had fiery serpents come upon them, and yet God sees them in absolute beauty. Verse 5, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like a valley that stretched out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars besides the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. A person that's filled with the Spirit of God sees God's people with love and care and gratitude. That's how someone who's filled with the Spirit of God sees God's people. They do not see them with hate, with disgust, or with annoyance. They see God's people with a heart of love, care, and gratitude. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and love the book of 1 John. Lots of tools for us to see, right? Lots of gauges for us to see. Am I really spiritually minded? Am I really... Filled with the Spirit of God, am I even saved? Read through 1 John. It'll open your eyes to see, okay, am I walking in these truths? But 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 through 14 here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. It tells us, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Do you love God's people? 
Do you love your brothers and sisters here? Are you excited when you come to church not just to hear the, the music, not just to hear the Bible study, not just to have the tostada or the cafe con leche and the cafe, right? Not just to have the lomo saltado on Sunday uh, lunch times, but do you love gathering together with God's people? It's a great test for us to see, man, am I really walking in the love of God? And look, here's another warning. What was Cain's problem? Cain's problem was that his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, from a young age, I took a couple statements to heart, right? One statement I took to heart at a young age was this. Snitches get stitches, right? Anybody else have that adage? Snitches get stitches, right? But within the body of Christ, sometimes people, they're obedient to God, and they follow Matthew 18. And they'll come up to another believer, and they'll say, hey, I love you, and I care for you, but what you're doing, how you're living, does not match up with God's word. And I love you, I care about you, I'm trying to allow you to see what God's word says. Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to get right with God's word? And then they begin to be angry. Why? Because their fruit, their works are evil and their brother's fruit is righteous. And their hatred begins to stir in their heart. Instead of coming to God's word and allowing God's word to convict them and break their heart and turn back to the Lord and be grateful and thankful that they have a brother or sister that cares about them enough. Instead, their heart begins to get more bitter, more angry, and hatred fills their heart. Again, who are we? When our brother or sister perhaps corrects us, when a mom or dad corrects us, when a son or daughter corrects us, is there love and gratitude or is there bitterness? In the book of Proverbs it says, He who hates correction is stupid, right? He, that's the Bible. Don't get mad at me. He who hates correction is stupid. So when someone comes to me and says, Zach, the way you're living, the way you're walking, this is not in line with God's word. If I'm hating that they're correcting me, I am therefore biblically stupid, right? So within our heart, do we love God's people? Here Balaam, a pagan prophet, as he's filled with God's spirit, when he looks at God's people, all he can say is, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob. And your dwelling place, O Israel. We can go back to Numbers 24. And here, this is an incredible blessing. Because the true reality is that right now, the nation of Israel is in complete wilderness. Wilderness for us within America, most of the time we think of forest, we think of trees, we think of mountains, we think of greenery. Wilderness in the Middle East, wilderness in Israel is just sand and clay and mud and nothing to be seen. So he's looking at them physically that they're in the middle of a desert. There's no water around. They are in the middle of the desert, and yet he looks at them, and he says, look at the seed, look at the water of God, look at the strength that God gives them. That's the next thing that a spirit-filled person sees behind God's people. Verse 8 and 9, God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations. His enemies, he shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. 
A spirit-filled person, not only do they see God's people with love and care and gratitude, but they're able to see the mighty power of God behind God's people. I think of the marriages here, the testimonies here, the prodigals, those who were once addicted, those who had their marriages completely fallen apart, and yet the mighty power of our God strengthened the people to overcome to overcome addiction, to overcome being away from the Lord, to answer prayer and drawing people back to Him. Do you look around and see the power of God? Or do you look around and say, that person didn't say hi to me tonight, right? What do you see? We should be seeing the power of God. We could look at a person and be like, man, that's the prodigal we prayed for for so many years. Wow, look at their marriage. Wow, look at this young adult. Look at where they're at today. This is the way we should be seeing God's people with love, care, and gratitude, and being able to see the mighty power of our God behind the lives of our brothers and sisters, just as our lives would be in utter ruin if it were not for the power of God. And then at the end here, it seems as if God completely turns his attention to Balak when he tells him, Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Balak's been trying to get Balaam to curse Israel all this time, and now he's literally given the prophetic word from God, Blessed is he who blesses you, Israel, and cursed is he who curses you, Israel. And this is a promise that has lasted for thousands of years. It's given here to Balak. It's given later on to Abraham. And it stands true till today. And sadly within church history, sadly within some denominations today, there's sort of a hatred and disgust for Israel and for God's people. But history has proven every nation that has opposed Israel, sooner or later they are always left in ruins. Sooner or later. Look at World War I. You look at World War II. Sooner or later, all of these nations that have opposed Israel will be left in utter ruin because one day Christ will return and he'll be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not just in our heart, not just spiritually, but he will rule and reign there in Jerusalem. Verse 10, Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam and he struck his hands together, right? And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now therefore flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact the Lord has kept you back from honor. Here Balak, hearing bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, was simply too much. And now he's angry, right? His anger is growing. Balak goes on to tell Balaam he's missing out because of his obedience to the Lord. You notice that in verse 11? Because you're unwilling to obey me, Balaam, God has kept you back from honor. And friend, this is the same lie that the enemy will give you today. That because of your obedience to God, because of your obedience to his word, somehow or another, God is keeping you back. He's keeping you back from blessing. He's keeping you back from honor. He's keeping you back from some type of goodness. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, the serpent from the beginning, this is how he tempted Eve. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God 
knowing good and evil. It's the same lie from the enemy to Eve, same lie of the enemy to Balak, and it's the same lie that the enemy gives you and I today. Hey, God's holding you back. Eve, if you eat of the fruit, you'll be fine. God, he's lying. In fact, God, he's keeping you back. God's worried that you're going to grow and be just as powerful as he is. And we need to keep in mind, the passing pleasures of sin will always be dangled in front of us. Always. The money, the fame, the houses, the power, the family, the friends, the sex, the drugs, the income, all of these things will always be dangled in front of God's people. But we need to remember each time that God warns us of something, it is for our good. God does not warn us because he's a fun vampire, right? Sucks the fun out of everything. God doesn't warn us because he's a Debbie Downer or he wants you to live a super boring life. God warns us because he cares for us and loves us just as a perfect father would his sons and daughters. Whenever the temptation comes from Satan, call him for what he is, liar. Every time the temptation comes, call Satan for what he is, deceiver. He's lying to you. He's lying to me. Let's call it for what it is and stop playing around with the temptation. See, that's, that's Balak's problem. That's Balaam's problem from the beginning. Instead of just cutting it off at the root, he continued to play with the temptation. Maybe I'll go with these guys. Maybe I'll let them stay with me for a day. Oh, the donkey, I smacked them three times. There's an angel of the Lord is right against me with a knife to my throat. God, are you okay if I go, right? God, do you have a problem with me going? Jesus has a knife at your throat. Do you think he has a problem with you going, right? But he continues to play. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the truth no matter what. No matter how good you think the pleasure is going to be, no matter how much money you think you're going to make, no matter how high you think the high is going to be, the wages of sin will always lead to death. No matter how good you think you're going to feel winning the argument, right? No matter how good you think you're going to feel because you're going to talk about her mom or her dad, right? The wages of sin is always death. So we should remember the truth of the wages of sin, but we should also remember the truth of our loving Father. Because oftentimes when temptation comes, we need to take a step back and say, okay, God, what's your heart for me? What's your mindset towards me? Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it tells us, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Do you love God here tonight? Right? Are you being obedient to his word? Do you love his people? Then his purposes for you are good. It's not to destroy you. His plans for you are not evil. We're promised trials. We're promised temptation. We're promised difficulty. But in his perfect plan, in his omnipotence, he's working all things together for the good. So next time the temptation comes, next time Satan says, hey, you are missing out because of your obedience to God or obedience to his word or your zeal for God and his word, come to the truth of scripture. We looked at the scripture on Sunday, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do 
exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We finished with that C.S. Lewis quote on Sunday that our problem is not that we love pleasure so much. Our problem is that our imagination is too small and we get caught up with mud pies instead of holding on to taste of the obedience and the promise and the blessings that God has for those who are obedient to him. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. Here, Jesus himself, he has something to say to those of us here who maybe you say, man, I lost out on this. Man, I missed out on that. I gave up the third all for Christ. Woe is me. And you're crying in your corner. Matthew 19. It's a good scripture to be mindful of. Matthew 19. I love the context here. He's dealing with the rich young ruler. Tells him to sell all that he has and come and follows him. Verse 22. When the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowfully. For he had great possessions. Then we hear that some of the disciples, they question Jesus and they say, Hey, we left stuff, right? What are we going to get? What about us? So then in Matthew 19, verse 28 through 30, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. Again, don't look at what you are missing out on for the sake of the gospel or because of your obedience to God. Be mindful of the blessings and the promises that wait and are in store for you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 and 26. Moses, he lived this out. It tells us, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Are you looking to the reward that lies ahead? Is that what you're looking on? Is that what you're fixed upon? Or are you just looking for your comfort right here and right now? Many people say, I don't, I don't want to give up my friends. I'm going to lose so many friends if I take this stance for God. You are focusing on the pleasure right now instead of the reward yet to come. Many people say, man, that's going to affect my friendship. That's going to affect my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my parents, my relationship with my cousins. And are you looking at the comfort here today or are you looking at the reward down the road if you choose to be with God's people instead of enjoying the passing pleasures of sin? Back to Numbers 24. We're going to see that Balaam, he did not choose the reward at the end of the road. Balaam is going to choose the riches in this life. And later on, he'll be killed by Joshua. We'll look at that probably next Wednesday night. But verse 12 and 13, so Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, 
I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says that I must speak. Balaam here, he's putting the blame on God. He's still hungry for that paycheck, but he knows that God warned him to only speak what God told him to speak. Back in Numbers 22 verse 20, tells us God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. And now indeed, verse 14, I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. In verse 15, Numbers 24, tells us, So he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with his eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and a batter and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tomal. Balaam here is giving a prophecy of Jesus Christ. None other than Jesus Christ, a star, a scepter rising up out of the people of Israel. In Genesis 49 verse 10, here's another prophecy. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Here, Balaam continues this last prophecy here for Balak in verse 18. It says, And Edom shall be a possession, seer also, his enemy shall be a possession while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked on Amalek and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but he shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites and he took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? Then he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher and afflict Eber, and so shall Amalek until he perishes. So here, Balaam's last word is not only a curse for King Balak, but a curse upon all the surrounding nations in the promised land. He says, none of you guys are surviving this, right? What God's word said he was going to do with his people and to all of you will come to pass. And again, keep in mind, there's been at least 400 years of just wretched sin happening here within this land. God, he's given more than enough grace, but now he's going to use the nation of Israel to judge these pagan kingdoms. Verse 25, so Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went. So Balaam, he leaves frustrated because he didn't get Balak's money. Balak, he leaves frustrated because he didn't get Balaam's curse. But it's interesting because right into chapter 25, maybe the header there in your Bible says, Israel's harlotry in Moab. Verse 1 through 3, it tells us, Now Israel remained in the acacia grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. 
They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Again, interesting, right? All of chapter 24, you have these two pagan men. They're doing all that they can to destroy and curse and come against God's people to no avail. But here, in a moment, these people begin to commit harlotry, and the anger of the Lord is aroused against Israel. We looked at a few New Testament scriptures last week that gave us insight into Balaam's mindset and heart. In 2 Peter chapter 2, 15, it warned us that Balaam, the son of Beor, loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam was looking for the money. His love was for money. In Jude chapter 1, verse 11, it tells us that they've run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Balaam, what was he hungry after? Once again, hungry after money. In Revelation chapter 2, Verse 14, we can turn there real quick, and here it gives us the best insight into the gap, right? What happened between chapter 24 and chapter 25? Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. You don't get any better commentary than the Bible than Jesus himself. And here Jesus, he gives us commentary on the scriptures. Verse 14, here Jesus says, but I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. This is Balaam's greed. This is where it drove him to. It drove him to disobey God. Right? God warned him in Numbers 20, only speak what I put in your mouth. But he was so hungry after the money. He was so desiring the profit and the gain that he comes back to the king, Balak, and he says, okay, we can't curse them, but if we can get them to disobey their God, then God will have to judge them. And again, it's our great warning here to us. David Guzik, he says, what an enemy could never accomplish against Israel, Israel did to itself through disobedience. The same principle works among the people of God today. The mightiest attack of Satan against us can never do as much damage as our own sin and rebellion against the Lord. Where are you at today? What are you more concerned about today? Everybody's weird, right, voodoo, bad vibes, bad juju out there, or are you Concern that perhaps you are walking in disobedience and rebellion against God and His Word. Are you walking in sin tonight? Because if you're walking in habitual sin, in a sense, the anger of the Lord is going to be against you. He can't bless you because the wages of sin is death. He can bless you when you're obedient to Him. We read, right, how His goodness is toward us. His plan will come to fruition. He'll work everything to good. If we love him, we read in, in 1 John, right? If we love him, we're going to obey his word and we're going to love his people. So if we're walking in sin, what a great warning to us. Israel, they remained in the Acacia Grove. Here's another great warning. Israel is right on the border of the promised land. They are right on the border of the promised land. And here's when Satan comes with his greatest temptation. 
So often for the believer, right when God has his blessings ready to be poured out on us, Satan will come with one last great temptation. Right before Jesus begins his ministry, Satan comes and tempts Jesus Christ three times. It's the same thing here with the nation of Israel. They are right on the outskirts of Jericho, right getting ready to go into the promised land and take over. But Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. If Israel would have had the same mindset as Moses, looking to the reward down the road, looking to the eternal reward, they would have even given this temptation a thought. But because they found themselves desiring to feed their flesh, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. Again, what a warning to us. Where are we at? In verse 1 and 2, it tells us the people began to commit harlotry with the woman of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. You see, the Moabites, in their religion with Baal, they would bring another person, right? They'd bring this woman before them and they would have sex in front of their idol. And their desire, their hope is as they have sex in front of their idol, their idol Baal would have sex with another god and now would bless their crops and bless their home and bless their land. Whenever we do sex outside of God's plan, out of God's morals, bad things always happen. Bad things always happen. And woe to any believer who waters down the power and the holiness of God's morals when it comes to sex. Oh, they're living together, but they love each other. They're they're married in the eyes of God. That's not the truth. That's not fact. Oh, pornography is not a big thing. It's just online. I'm not really with another person. No big deal. That's a lie. This different gender, this sex change, homosexuality, right, with children, bestiality, all of these different things, it's all evil and sinful in the eyes of God. And the wages of sin always lead to death. Whether it's one man with several women, whether it's one woman with several men, whether it's man, man, women, women, whatever kind of thing you think of, right? It is sinful and wrong in the eyes of God. And as they're being brought Into this temptation, the men, they come to it, and they go through with it, and now the anger of the Lord is aroused against them. Right? There's a warning here to verse 3 that Israel was joined to Baal. And Scripture tells us clearly in Corinthians that when we have sexual intimacy with someone, we are joining ourselves together with them. Again, the lies of the enemy that it's not a big deal. What are that person's morals? That person's belief system, the God that that person follows, the idols that that person follows. That's why God's intended plan was one husband and one wife having sex together after they're married and no other partner out there. No one else to compare it to. No one else to other wonder, what if, what about this, what about that. Again, the lies of pornography, how unnatural for someone to stare at other people having sex. That is not what God had ever intended for us. God intended one man and one wife to have sex together, and that's it. But how our system and our world perverts it, and then Christians water it down, saying it's not that big of a deal. Be careful with that. Verse 4 and 5, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord 
out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. Does it look like God takes this serious? Mankind can say whatever they want. Churches can say whatever they want. Any pastor can say whatever they want. But the word of God is very clear on any sexual immorality. Verse 5, So then Israel said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. We see this wasn't just a job for Moses. This wasn't just a job for the high priests. This was a job for every person. Every person was to take out whoever was in sin. Old Testament-wise, it was to take the offender. They probably stoned them to death. And then they hung their bodies out so that it would be a deterrent saying, the wages of sin is death. Literally, right? Look at the dead body there. Don't do this. But this isn't just for pastors. You think of Matthew 18. It's if your brother or if your sister sins against you. And the great warning here for Israel, the great problem with Israel, is that their sin did not just affect themselves. Israel's sin did not just affect one person, did not just affect one family, did not just affect one tribe. It didn't just affect the 12 tribes. Because through the nation of Israel, God had a promise, right? What was the promise that God had in store that would come out one day through the nation of Israel? Jesus Christ. So as Israel is willing to dive into this sin, they're not just affecting themselves. They're not just affecting their marriage, not just affecting their kids, their brothers, their sister, their family, their tribe, the 12 tribes. They are affecting the future of mankind. And that's what we need to realize when we sin, when I sin, when you sin. You're not just affecting yourself. The New Testament tells us we are the body of Christ. And when one member hurts, when one member is in pain, the whole body is in pain. No matter how secret you think you are, no matter how hidden you think you are, right? Unless you're wearing sandals tonight, right? Your pinky toe is kind of hidden, right? Can't see it right now. But if someone gets a hammer and smashes that pinky toe, does the rest of your body feel pain? Right? In the middle of the night, you're walking, you're going to the bathroom, and you hit that pinky toe. Does your whole body not react and say, ouch, what's going on here, right? You begin speaking in tongues, BC memories come to mind, or all sorts of things start happening. And it's the same thing for us. When we are in sin, when we give in to the lies of the enemy, when we give in to the passing pleasure of sin for that moment, it affects the whole body. On the other side of that, how important it is for us to stand for righteousness. Because when we stand for righteousness, not only does it affect you and bless you, not only does it affect and bless your spouse and your kids and your family and your tribe and the 12 tribes, but it blesses everyone around you. And God only knows what's going to happen centuries afterwards because of your obedience to God and His Word. It it makes me think of my grandfather. He was obedient to God while he was in Cuba. He still had a radio program. He was speaking about the truth of Castro. Then he hears the voice of the Lord telling him and my grandma, hey, get out of Cuba. They get out of Cuba. The same day that they leave, the secret police are knocking on their door ready to arrest them. His obedience to God not only did it affect his family, His kids, right, my dad, my aunt. But now it affects me. And because it affects me, it affects you. Our small obedience to God, it's just not small. God only knows the generations that our obedience and closeness and oneness with God will one day affect. Again, when we're obedient to God, it leads to life and that abundantly. 
When we go into sin, it leads to death, and that abundantly. And now, it's not just on Moses, it's not just on Aaron's sons, it's not just on the high priest, but everyone is to go out and deal with the sin in the tribe, within the nation of Israel. It happens every once in a while that someone will come up to a pastor here at Calvary Chapel, Miami, and say, do you know who so-and-so really is? Do you know the sins that they're dealing with? And I say, I don't know the sins that they're dealing with, right? I'm not a sin sniffer. I'm pretty busy as it is. I don't know what they're dealing with. Oh, they are this outside and they act like that. And when you're not around, they do this, they do that, they do the third. How long have you known about this? Oh, I've known about it for months, but I didn't want to bring it to your attention. Have you talked to them about it? Have you Matthew 18 them? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not willing to do that. They haven't sinned against me personally, right? This is a job for pastors. No, that is a job for you. Because if someone is out in the world being a complete hypocrite and they say, man, I robbed, I stole, I'm a home wrecker, I'm sleeping around, and I also attend Calvary Chapel Miami, right? That affects you. That affects me. That affects our reputation. So that's not just on me. Matthew 18 says it's on each and every one of us to handle the sin that comes in front of our view. Because here, every judge of Israel, each of these men, had to go and kill the men that were joined to Baal. Their personal men that they knew that they were close to. So for us today, we don't kill people. That's not what we do today, right? That's a self-defense, a whole different teaching, right? But what we are to do is to call people out and be obedient to Scripture. Hey, are you right with God? You're not right with God? Then, man, get right with the Lord and then come back to church. That's what we should be telling people. Come to church and get right with people. Don't live in this hypocritical place. And again, it's for parents and kids. It's for kids and parents. It's for brother and sister. We read about it in Matthew, right? What did, God, what did Jesus tell Peter? Everyone who forsakes brothers and sisters and mothers and wives and husbands for my namesake will be blessed in this life and in the one to come. Do we really believe that promise? When it comes to sin in the lives of someone else that says that they are a believer. Now, if they're a non-believer, Scripture says, why are you surprised, right? Why are you surprised? A non-believer is living in sin. Why are you surprised? Remember how you used to live. But now, if they're claiming that they're a Christian and they're walking contrary to God's Word, you go and you speak to them. You say, hey, this is what the Word of God says. This is not how you're living. Do you want to get right? After you do that, then come and tell the pastors what's going on, and we'll continue Matthew 18. But back to Numbers 25, verse 5. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas... The son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it. He arose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them. The man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. We see thousands of people fell into this sin. Thousands of people went into this sexual immorality. What a warning to us. What the devil and our enemies and curses could not accomplish. Israel, they bought it hook, line, and sinker, and they did it to themselves. 
Are we playing with sin tonight? Are you messing around with sin thinking that it's not that big of a deal? It hasn't cost you that much today. Maybe it's not really that big of a deal. Sooner or later, it will come for your throat. Read Proverbs chapter 7 when you go home. Guy thinks he's all fun. He's all cool. The other guy's out away. And then he gets an arrow to his liver, right? Our sin will find us out. Here, this man and this woman are having sex right near the tabernacle. Right in front of the tabernacle. And because of this offense, Phineas didn't say, hey, who's, this pers- who's in this person's fear of influence, right? Who's close to this person? No, Phineas, and here it tells us because of his zeal, dealt with it himself. Do we have that zeal for God and God's word? Do we have that zeal for God that's even above other people that are God's people? You notice that in verse 10? It tells us, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Family, are we zealous? Are we hungry? Do we have a desire for the word of God? And a desire for the word of God, zeal for the love of God. It's not just smiles. It's not just I love you. It's not just Jesus loves you. He loves me too. He loves everybody, right? Zeal for God's word loves the things that God loves and hates the things that God hates. So for you and I today, do you have to grab a javelin and spear two people through in the middle of sexual immorality? Probably not, right? Probably not. But are we willing to deal with sin in front of us? Phineas, he did not hold back from dealing with blatant sin in front of his eyes. He didn't go get Eliezer. He didn't go get Moses. He dealt with the sin himself because he had a righteous zeal. He said, this can't be happening in front of God's house. This can't be happening with God's people. And he dealt with it. Do we have this zeal for God and his word? Verse 12 Therefore, say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Family, will this be said of you? Because you have such a zeal, such a love for God, and you're dealing with sin. You're dealing with the agape love of Jesus Christ That God is placing his covenant of peace upon you. Extra blessings upon you because of your obedience to God's word. Because you were more zealous even among God's people. It wasn't that he was just zealous among a bunch of pagans. He was zealous among God's own people. I talk about it all the time. There's no kid in kids ministry that says, When I grow up, I want to be mediocre. (laughs) There's no get in there. When I grow up, I hope I could be just average, right? I hope my grade is just 70 down the road, right? Straight 70s. That's not in any of us. We have zeal to strive and to do well in certain things. But do we have a zeal and a drive for the things of God? Each of us, we desire to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But are we acting like it? Are we living like it? Are we giving God our best or are we giving him our sloppy leftovers? 
Are we having one foot in sin and in the world and one foot with God and in church? Who are we truly? Because he was zealous for his God, he made atonement for the children of Israel, and now he appeases God, and God pulls back this plague from among the children of Israel because of his zeal. Maybe today within your family, your family's going through a bunch of turmoil, because maybe there's a family member of yours that's living in sin, and now the whole family's dealing with it. Are you zealous for the things of God? Will you stand up for righteousness, or, were you, or will you cower in Fear. Speak the truth in love. You never know what God's going to do. Verse 14. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zur. He was head of the people of a father's house in Midian. Right? God is not a respecter of persons. One man, he's a leader of a father's house among the tribe of Simeon. The woman, she's a Midianite woman, and her father is the head of the Midianite people. And yet, he does not stop. He deals with the sin, this zealous man, Phineas. What's holding you back from dealing with the sin, right? Deal with our own sin first and foremost. The telephone pole in our eye, right? And then deal with the specks in our brother's and sister's eye. Verse 16, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and attack them. For they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Again, God says harass them. Deal with it and attack it. You have sin in your life. You have temptation. You have those besetting sins. You have that same sin that attacks you each and every day over and over and over again. Show no mercy. Show no mercy. You have certain struggles. Show no mercy. Show no, our world loves this word, right? Tolerance. Show no tolerance for the sin in your life. Those things that you fall, man, I fell into drunkenness again. I fell into pornography again. I fell into gossip again. Are you showing mercy to those sins? Are you giving them a little bit of a breath? Are you giving yourself a certain way out that in case of a bad day, break glass and go into whatever your vice is? Or are you showing no mercy to your sin? That's what God tells Moses. Hey, with the Midianites, look at what they've done to you. Show them no mercy. 